make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Oh, good morning, church. Certainly good to be here this morning. I want to thank everyone for coming. If you're visiting with us, let you know that you're an honored guest, and we're very thankful that you're here. Um, we're going to continue on our Getting Real series, and um, I hope uh, hope you can be uh, on board with that. So, uh, just so you know, our Getting Real series is uh, essentially um, the third part of um, our discipleship process. We are looking at uh, how to make disciples here at New Beginnings, and we said we have to know something of God's story. We have to know how our story fits within God's story, and we have to deal with life um, and the aftermath of the life where um, we've been king, we've been God. And so um, this particular series is really rooted in this idea of recovery, and um, there are really three phases to this entire series, this entire process. It's kind of like a a two-step, right? Two steps forward and one step back, right? There's really three steps all together uh, in, uh, in, this, in this series. The first step is to really build Christ at the center of your life, right? That's what the first three steps are all about. Uh, the first step is to realize I'm not what? God, right? Um, the second one is to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, that he has the power to help me recover. And the third one is to commit ourselves, consciously choose to commit our life and will and control over to Christ, right? So the first three steps is all about making sure that Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. Um, The breakdown of our lives, sin and the problem that we are in, is a result of not having Christ at the center of life and having ourselves there in place. The sin behind all sin is self-focused. It's being God for ourselves. Um, and so this program comes in and says, we've got to make sure Christ is the center of our lives. Now, having done that, if, if we make that decision to make Christ the center of our lives, the next three steps are really about um, unpacking life that has been lived when we were king, right? So the first one is we do uh, a, uh, we earnestly, or excuse me, we openly confess our sins to ourselves, to God, another person, right? We take a personal inventory of our life. Um, Once God is king, you take a look at your life and say, okay, what are my character defects? What are the, who are the people that I've harmed and who are the people that harm me? Um, Those three steps are, are so transformational in our lives, right? We make Christ king and then we have the strength to look at ourselves for real. (laughs) Really look at ourselves, really understand who we are, um, our character defects, and also our personal relationships. Um, the way that looks, of course, is, as we said, making a personal inventory uh, and then allowing God, voluntarily allowing God to make the changes in our character that he wants to make. And then, of course, as we saw last week, making amends and offering forgiveness. Now, once that happens, right, once those first six steps are taken, once you make Christ king, once you've really looked at your, yourself and you've gotten real with your character defects and you've repaired your relationships with other people, Uh, there is peace. You find peace with yourself. You find peace with God. Things are as they should be. But things don't always stay that way. Amen? Um, It was interesting. I was actually thinking this week was our senior appreciation. Um, So I was thinking, 
it's interesting how well this lesson would work with those who are going off in to do great things in life. Um, life needs some maintenance. Life needs some constant reminder to bring us back to make God king, to deal with our, our character flaws, and also uh, to deal with those relationships. Um, and so to, th- this morning, what I really want to talk about is the next, uh, the next right choice. It's a choice to reserve daily time with God. Uh, Psalms 1a and 2 says, Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This choice is all about reserving a daily time with God for self-examination, for the study of God's word, for prayer, in order to know God's will for our life and to gain the power to follow that will. This is known as a maintenance step. This is, a, this is known as life in Christ. What we need to continue to do um, to make Christ-centered, to work on our character flaws, and to work with our personal relationships. Now, question for you. Um, what do you have to do in order for problems to happen in your life? What do you have to do for relapse to take place? Think about that as we read this scripture. Actually, as we go to this picture. So this is, uh, this is a picture of my patio in the backyard. It's kind of hard to see, but uh, those are all like sandstone pieces that they've been put together, sort of like a mosaic in the backyard. It's real, real pretty, especially when it's clean. <laughs> uh, it's real nice looking. And um, um, a couple weeks ago, I had spent basically a month off from weeding. Um, Ohio is insane. <laughs> I'm just going to say it right now. Like a month off of weeding in California, I pluck two weeds and I'm done. Here, this is what it looks like. <laughs> This is only after a month of, of, of not getting out there every day and doing a little bit every day. Uh, I had the best of attentions, you know, but then camp got in the way and then some other things had gotten in the way and other things got in the way. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll get it tomorrow or I'll get it another day or I'll wait till Dawson can help me or I'll, I'll wait till someone else, you know. Um, guess what I had to do for all those weeds to show up? Guess how intentional I needed to be to, to grow some really great weeds in my backyard? Absolutely what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The only thing you need to do and to ensure that you find yourself back in the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that you were once in is to do absolutely nothing. You see, making Christ the center of our life is something we have to constantly be about. We have to constantly be about evaluating our lives, constantly be about working on those relationships, constantly offering forgiveness and making amends. If not, the weeds begin to grow. Complacency can be deadly. Proverbs 1 verse 32 says, For the wayward of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will what? It destroys them. You don't have to do anything for your life to become a mess. In fact, that's what you have to do. For your life to become a mess, just to rest on your laurels. And so I want to begin talking and and exploring what relapse is and and, and how we respond to this idea of relapse. So this is what it looks like in our lives. It begins with complacency. It moves to confusion. It ends up with compromise. And next thing you know, there is catastrophe. So let's unpack that for a second. In my life, anyways, uh, as it relates to my desire to 
live a better, healthier lifestyle, right? You can replace this with alcohol. You can talk about this with all sorts of different, um, all sorts of different habits and hangups that we sometimes will, will find ourselves addicted to, and other things. Anger. Uh, it could be uh, you know, sort of an addiction to, to to relationships. It could be shopping. It could be just pornography. It could be all sorts of things. There's this pattern that we fall into that leads to catastrophe, and it begins with complacency. It begins with this notion that I got it under control, right? I, I know I had a problem in the past, but look at my life now. I've got some freedom. I've got some success. I've got it under control. And before too long, you decide, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. I mean, I, I think I, I've got it under control, so I think I can dabble a little bit in, 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 in what I was doing before because, after all, I have mastery over it now. And before long... Uh, in that period of confusion of really what the right thing to do is, next thing you know, you, you compromise. It gets the best of you. Before too long, you're right back into the addiction that you once were trying to get out of. Uh, for me, this looks like with food, right? I, I struggle with food. If you've been around me long enough, you've seen me struggle with food, right? Um, Complacency. I feel like, hey, I've been working out with Josh. We've been going to the gym. I'm losing weight. I can have three or four dozen donuts. It's okay. <laughs> right? I have mastery over this. And this, you know, it's funny because I, I think I tell myself these things like, I am working out. I am on this process. I am doing better. I am, I, you know, I'm losing weight. So I ought to be able to cheat a little bit. And so there's confusion there. I think I have it under control. I can cheat a little bit. And then, of course, I compromise. And then, of course, the, the old rational thought starts popping in there. Like, you know, I've already blown it at breakfast, right? I had, I had a biscuits and gravy along with my omelet, right? So if I've blown it at breakfast, the whole day shot, I might as well just enjoy myself as the day goes on. And so a biscuit turns into a double-double cheese, cheeseburger, burger, please, and that turns into you know, steak and potatoes, and that turns into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pieces of candy. Catastrophe. And I'm right back where I started from. Right? Am I alone? This happens to us. We begin to think, hey, I got this covered. There was a lady at our, at our, at our old church um, she struggled with some mental illness, and uh, she would take the appropriate medication, and she would do so well, so well that she thought she didn't need to take the medication and find herself right back in the need for more medication. That this is what we do over and over and over again. This is what relapse is. It's all you have to do is nothing. All you have to do is begin to think, hey, I got this covered, man. I got this. The reality is, who's got it? God has it. That's the confession we must make every week. That's what Keith was talking about at the table. That's what our songs are all about. It's not, I got it. It's, he's got it. And when we begin to think, I got it. Guess who gets us? Right? There's a lot of reasons for, for, for relapse. The first one is a, a, a revert to willpower. Right? We don't need willpower. What we need is real power. Amen? We need God's power, not willpower. Right? We don't just need more of us. 
We're the reason we got into the problem in the first place. We need a, a power greater than ourselves to help us out. Right? You're getting the results for what you're putting into the process. That's just how it works. And if you're getting dysfunction, you're going to continue to get dysfunction as long as everything stays the same. We relapse because we begin to think, I've got this covered, or I, I, can, I can do this now. I can drive the car. Right? I, can, I don't need him to steer anymore. It happened to Israel. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. You know, all that God did to bring Egypt or bring Israel out of Egypt is, is truly profound. Some of the most breathtaking, amazing miracles that have ever taken place under the sun took place when God brought Israel out of Egypt and preserved them in the wilderness and led them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Talk about where's God in my life? You could say, hey, dude, he's right there, right? I mean, he's right there. All of these wonderful things. And then God goes through this book called Deuteronomy, which is a second reading of the law. Basically, it's, it's basically what God would tell them uh, before they go into the promised land. And what he tells them is this. You're going to get there, and all of a sudden you're going to start thinking you're there because of you. You're going to start thinking this promised land that I, I, I gift wrapped and handed to you, you're responsible for. I remember as a boy, I used to go out and the, the farmer would let me shoot my BB gun at his place. <laughs> he actually let me shoot a 30-30, which was uh, kind of dangerous. But um, he would just let me go out and shoot things. The farmer's wife said, you just can't shoot the mockingbirds. Everything else, you can shoot away. And um, I remember one time I was out by their peach trees, which make great bait for birds, just so you know, right? So I'm out there, and these birds keep coming in, and I'm saving the peaches. Boom, 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 boom. I remember going back uh, to the house and noticing a cat had picked up one of my birds. And guess what it was doing? It was walking around like it killed the bird, right? It came up and put it at the, put it at the, the, the base where it said, welcome, right when she walks in the door. And I'm like, you low down, dirty thing. You didn't kill that. I killed that. You're doing you're taking all the credit for it. That's us, right? That's Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, God says, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you everything that, uh, that, that, that you could possibly need. And he says, somewhere along the line, you're going to start thinking it's all about you, that you killed the bird. He says in Deuteronomy 18, 17 and 18, you may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce the wealth and so confirm his covenant, which we swore to your ancestors as it is today. One of the reasons we relapse, one of the reasons complacency becomes uh, a reality to us is because we don't recognize the king is off the throne because we have ourselves there. We begin to take it into our own power. We begin to think we're responsible for what we have. Another reason we uh, relapse is because we ignore a choice. And this is very, very important. A lot, of people, uh, a lot of people neglect the relational area of recovery. They want to work on their character defaults or character defects. They want to work on their anger. They want to work on their lust. They want to work on, on laziness. They want to work on themselves. They want to work on these things. And it's good. Like we, we want to work on ourselves. When it comes to personal relationships, you're like, I don't really want to deal with that. And so what ends up happening is they don't really offer forgiveness the way they should, nor do they offer amends when they need to. They just kind of stuck, stick that stuff away because they, uh, they are afraid of conflict or they're worried about the ramifications of getting right with other people. 
And then they just stick it in the back and they hold on to it. And it comes back to haunt them. Uh, there's a, there was a story one time I heard about uh, an island. There's a preacher story, so it's a good chance it was made up. Um, <laughs> there was this islander, and he was selling, uh, he was selling his house and trying to get his, his little hut sold. And, and uh, some people were coming by, and they saw it, and they said, well, you know, we want to buy your hut. And he goes, well, you know what, I'll, 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 I'll offer it at half the rate of everyone else. And they were like, this is phenomenal, right? The guy really needed to sell his hut. And so he says, but with one exception. I get the nail that's on the porch right here. You can have everything else for this price, but I want this nail. I need to keep this nail. And the family was like, oh, okay, that sounds great. We'll take this at a, a bargain rate, and you can have the nail. Got it. He goes away. Two years, he comes back. And he comes back, and he's carrying a dead pig that he, that he had hunted. And he took this pig, and guess what he did with it? He hung it on that nail. And they're like, what are you doing, sir? You get, this is our house now. He goes, well, that's true, but that's my nail. And so he let the pig rot on the nail. And eventually the people were like, you know what? You can have the house back. <laughs> I don't want it anymore. And his plan worked, right? He wanted to, he, what he wanted to do is sell his house for just a period of time until he could come back. And the same thing happens to us in our life. We think, okay, I'm going to get rid. I'm going to get real. I'm going to get rid of all this stuff. I'm going to work on my character defects. But we leave that nail in there. And before long, it starts to stink. And Satan has a foothold in our life. And he comes back and he reminds you, you know, you were done wrong. And it reminds you, that person hurts you. And be, before long, it begins to stink. And next thing you know, your life becomes his life. You're not in control anymore. Because you've skipped a step before you really got real and cleaned house. You've neglected relationships. You neglected to offer forgiveness. You'd rather hold on to your resentments and bring them and, and carry them around with you. That's one of the reasons we relapse. We relapse because we revert to willpower. We ignore choice. And we also, we'll try to do it alone. Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Right? The Bible says uh, it's important for believers, as, as Keith was mentioning, to commune together with God but with each other. It's very rare that a person finds healing from significant, from significant realities in his life that, are, that he's, they are addicted to or struggling with alone. Very rarely do ever people find recovery by themselves. You need a community to get better. You need people to spur you on. right? You need people to encourage you. You need a community of faith to come along. Because here's why. Most of the things that we build up as a God in our life become an addiction to us. We build our life around those things. You know why um, people who struggle with certain habits struggle so much? It's because not only is it just a, a, not only have they become a dependent on them physically or, or, or chemically, they've also built their entire life around that thing. So if you want to find recovery, you need to find an entire life around something else. Amen? That's how it works. If, if, if you're trying to get well and yet you're filling your life with the same people you've always filled your life with, 
They're going to have the same expectations of you they've always had. Have you ever tried to get well and someone around you say, sorry, I don't really think that's you. What are you doing? You're trying to be good? You're not the good guy. What do you mean you're trying to get your life together? You're the, you're the mess up. You're, you're the one that messes up. Right? People want to keep the same view of us. And if you, so it's so important that you change your, the basis of your community. This is why church is so important. This is why small groups are so important. If you want to change, you be around people you want to be like. You want to be around people who can encourage you and have the same goals in mind as you do. And this is, a, this is a struggle because we spend the majority of our life around other people who don't have the same values as us. So you have to be intentional about this. You have to make time for the community of faith. Not just because God commanded it, so you better be at church or else, right? Because that's usually how this passage came up in the past. It's a command to go to church, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And I'm like, oh man, here we go again. We, we never really talked about utility of it. The utility of this command, this expectation, is recovery in your life. Encouragement. Loving one another. Spurring one another on. Um, uh, uh, we would relapse because we revert to willpower. We ignore choices. We try to do it by ourselves and because of pride. Tim Keller has this great saying. He says, pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. Right? You know, what car- you know how carbon monoxide kills? Silent. It builds up before you know it and it takes your life. It's the same thing with pride. This notion that I got this. This notion that I'm in charge. This notion that... That I really need to be the ones calling the shot. That, that all those expectations that God has in my life, that's really going to cramp my style. That's really going to be, that's not the really life I want to live. I don't want tell people or anybody, even a higher power, telling me how I ought to live. How I ought to live my life and, and relate to other people. I, I feel like I can do that for myself. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. Pride is, is a killer of, of recovery. Um, you know, a moment ago we talked about complacency. You know what's fascinating about that? I've been doing a lot of, of, of thinking about why it is we get complacent. And I think, it's because, I think it's because we want the peace and the security of, and, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with just being lazy. Like, we worked really hard to find this recovery, and we really don't want to continue to do the same things that have brought recovery. We feel like, hey, I've made it, like the lady who took the, the medicine. I feel better. Why do I want to continue to have to bring pills into my life, right? Why do I have to continue to take my medicine? I, it'd be better if I could just cruise at this point. Well, there's, you can't cruise. That's not where peace is. Believe it or not, peace is found... Peace is found following the process. This is what, this is what uh, the, psalm, or the proverb, uh, writer of Proverbs says. For the wayward of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of the fools will destroy them. But listen, but whoever listens to me will live in what? Safety. And be at what? Without? That's really what we want. What we really want is safety and, and, and a life of peace and ease and, and, a, and a life without the constant bombardment of fear. That's what we want. Well, where do we get it? We don't get it from complacency. We get it by listening to him. 
By making time to be with Him. We get the peace that we're, lo- we're longing for by making sure Christ is the center of our lives. And we do that with three habits that continue uh, to allow us to put Christ at the center. Habit number one is we evaluate. We continue to evaluate our lives. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. One of the, one of the most important things you can do uh, since you continue to recover, to continue to stay on the path that God has called us to, is to do a daily evaluation. How many, how many of you do that? By the way, does anybody at the end of the day stop and just evaluate how the day went? Anybody? Raise your hand. That's awesome. Is it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we over-evaluate today, right? Uh, I feel you. Um, but, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. I think, it's, I think it's fascinating. That's a good practice to get into. That before we go to bed, before we say our prayers, we say, okay, how did I go today? How did it go today? How was I today? We need to do evaluation. We need to check our heart, right? Heart says for hurt, exhausted, angry, resentment, and tense. If you want to know how you're really doing, we're, we're, we're really good at fooling ourselves, right? We're really good at kind of like overlooking things. So in this evaluation, before you go to bed every night, ask yourself, do I hurt physically, emotionally? Am I exhausted? And not the sort of exhausted that comes when you neglect your backyard for a month and you've been out weeding, right? But the sort of exhaustion that just seems like, man, I don't have anything left in the tank at all. Exhausted emotionally, spiritually, physically. Just, just give me the pillow and let me sleep for four days. Sort of exhausting. Are you angry? Are you reactionary? Have you ever been angry, disproportionate to what's to, to the stimuli? Like something small happens and you just lose it? If you're a parent, I know you've been there, right? All right? Uh, have you ever been there? Have you ever wonder, like, wow, where did this disproportionate anger come from? Are you angry? Is there resentment? Do you see the world as out to get you? Are, are you? are you constantly thinking other people's motives are negative against you? Do you seem like the whole world is out to get you? Is there resentment there? Are you tense? Are you anxious, right? Evaluate yourself. Test yourself. Ask yourself, where is this coming from? And the quick answer is this. Regardless of how it actually manifests in your life, where it comes from is Christ has moved off the center. That's it. Christ has moved off the center. If you are hurting and exhausted and angry and resentment and tense, Christ has moved just a little bit off the center. That's why it's so important to follow up an evaluation with meditation. The second habit uh, to, to maintain our, our sobriety in Christ is, number one, to evaluate. Number two, to meditate. Reverse worry. Um, this is probably the best definition of meditation I've ever run across, right? Um, you can go through a lot of classes. You can go to Eastern philosophy. You can look into a number of different uh, foster and others who speak about spiritual disciplines and meditation. The best way to describe meditation to me is reverse worry. When you worry about something, you allow whatever it is you're worrying about in your mind. That's all you can think about. It consumes your thinking. 
And before long, not only is it consuming your thinking, it's consuming and affecting your choices. It's consuming and affected the way you sleep, the way you act, the way you speak to people, the way you respond to, to, to challenges. It just begins to sort of worm its way into your whole life. Well, guess what? Meditation with God's Word works the exact same way, except for you're not putting in negativity and fear and anger and and all this junk that the world has for you, you're, you're putting the Word of God into your life, and you begin to meditate on it. Imagine how your attitude and your choices and the way you respond to things would change if what was consuming your heart and mind was the love of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, man, how do we do that? Well, I mean, no. How do you, how do you, all, how do you obsess over other people's choices? How do you obsess over your mistakes? How do you obsess over the past? Why is it that it's so difficult to obsess over God? It's not. You take the same steps. You allow the Word of God in. You allow the story of what God has done for you to permeate your life. And you allow it to just permeate your life. And then the Gospel begins to affect your way you think and the way you respond and the way you do things. It reminds you that Christ has to be at the center. We need to practice listening. We listen to holy people, people who are on the same path as us. We listen to the Word of God. We listen. Uh, we make sure that what's coming into our life is what Paul says in Philippians is noble and true and right and just and good. That may mean turning off the television. Amen. That may mean turning off the imports of other negativity in your world. That may mean creating a boundary before that one person that's always complaining about everything. You ever, ever met that person? God, God has compassion on him. It's good to be there for people. But a constant complaint in your life is addictive. And it's contagious. Have you ever noticed, maybe it's just me, but if I'm around people, I know a lot of it has to do with my personality. Like, I'm kind of a chameleon sometimes. And so, like, my father-in-law, he's a pagan. I love him to death, but he's a pagan. And so I find myself, he complains about things, and so in order to kind of get along with him, guess what I do? Hey, I hate this too. You know, this is awesome. We're in this together, right? You know, we, we end up complaining. That's how co complaints can be contagious. Negativity can be contagious. So you make sure that you're listening to God and be, be mindful of, of the amount of negativity that you're allowing into your mind. Memorization. We don't do enough of this anymore. We need to allow the words of God to permeate us and to come from within us, not just our Bible apps and our, and our Bibles. We need to place them in our hearts. We need to find friends who are on the same path as us, who can encourage us to listen to God's word. People through whom we can hear God's will being communicated back to us. And then we need to pray. We need to pray. So uh, we have this habit. The only thing you have to do, church, for complacency to take place is nothing. It's all you have to do. Begin to let Christ move from the center of your life. And the way we fight against that is by building these habits. A habit of evaluation, a habit of meditation, and a habit of prayer. I want to suggest to you three prayers, personal prayer, whatever's on your heart and mind, whatever, uh, whatever is going through, be real with God because there's no other option. 
Be real with God. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what's on your mind. Make sure you thank him for this life. Because as bad as it is, you are, if you're in Christ, you have all people to be blessed. Then I would recommend the serenity prayer. We, we've read the serenity prayer at the end of this, this series over and over again. Every time I've introduced the serenity or reintroduced the serenity prayer back to places of faith, it's always remarkable. Two things. Number one, they said, I didn't know the prayer actually had that ending. <laughs> it actually does. And second, they're like, that's a really powerful prayer. It like really helps to be reminded of all the time that hardship is a pathway to peace. It doesn't mean God's out to get me. Because Jesus experienced it too. It, it helps us to be mindful of changing the things we can and not the things we can't. This prayer is not just for people whose lives are really messed up. That prayer is for people like you and I. Who, if the truth be told, whose lives are really messed up. And then finally, the, the Lord's Prayer. A prayer of reorientation. Now, I, every time I I've, I've present this material, not every time, but a lot of times people will say, well, mate, wait a second, Matt. You know, the Bible warns us about uh, being, you know, practicing rote prayers and, and things like that. This is not what I'm talking about. Practicing the prayers, these three prayers, these forms of prayer, is not about getting into this rote idea so that if you say these prayers, something magical will happen on the other side. Right? This is what Jesus was responding to when he introduced the Lord's Prayer. He said the pagans babble because they think with their many words they'll be heard, right? Um, he says that's, that's not how it works. Prayer isn't some kind of special magical formula that changes your reality. Prayer is about orienting yourself to the reality who is God. Prayer is about getting in, in, in touch with who God is and, and lining up your life with who God is. And practicing prayers like this is a matter of reorientating the way you think if you want to be transformed from this world and not conform to it, what do we have to do? Transform our thinking. That's what Paul says. That's how these prayers work. That's how this step works. A choice for maintenance. A choice to constantly, every day, move Christ back to the center of your life. The only thing you have to do for Him to move is nothing. But if you want to keep him there, we evaluate daily, we pray. I forgot the third one already. I'm the preacher. I'm not supposed to. And meditate. Thank you. See, I've seen if you you were listening. You were listening. That's all be standing. I have one song to, to finish with that I think does a good job of reminding us of just how important. Uh, actually, more of a song of commitment to make Jesus the King of our hearts. Because that's what we're talking about. That metaphor of putting Christ in the center, that metaphor of, of saying Christ is King and we're not, it's all about making sure Jesus is calling the shots, that God is the big dog in the yard, not us, and that we're following Him, we're responding to Him. Uh, this is a song we, we sang at camp recently. I think, it's, I think it's just right on point. Let's all sing it together.
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, church.